Good morning. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the drummer. <laughs> one of, one of. No, I'm, I, my, na- my, name's, uh, my name's Tim Brumba. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we got some cool stuff going on today, and God's already been speaking. You can feel his presence in this room. You can feel it during worship. Really exciting. Pretty excited. I'm glad he's here, you know? Because it's just like anything I have to say is just gravy, or maybe it's not, but at least he's here, right? So um, we need a cup holder on this thing, right? Anyways, no, it's, it's all right. So we just want to take care of some business this morning. It's not business like business. It's, it's kingdom business. Um, I, I just got a note uh, that Josiah Ficus is actually in the hospital. And uh, he woke up. He's been having a recurring issue where he's had intense stomach pain. And um, obviously doctors don't, they take it pretty seriously when you have intense stomach pain. Um, it's reoccurring. They're doing tests. Nothing's coming back negative. And Steve and Tracy are at the hospital with him right now. They've been there since 4 a.m. So here's the thing. You know, it's God's will to heal people. You know, he purchased your healing. That's he purchased right. our healing. That's right. And uh, so we want to we just go after this for a second. Take a minute and just go after this issue and believe God for a healing. I'm even believing that we'll get a text or an email or something in the service right now as we speak. Father, just, just reach your hand out, you, grab a hand with somebody if you feel like it. Just, I don't know where strong is, south, uh, no, north, whatever. Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak to little Josiah's body and we say, come in line with the word, Lord. Come in line with heaven in Jesus' name. Father, we speak to any problems in the digestion, problems with the appendix, problems with gallbladder. We say be healed and recovered right now. We pray that the pain would go now. And any issue that the doctors cannot find would go now in the name of Jesus. We speak healing and life over this young man, that he would have a testimony on his lips. And Lord, that inspire faith in this house in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So just keep your ear tuned for that, okay? So um, let me just quick, quick show of hands how many people are done with their Christmas shopping. We got some good planners. Wow. I know my wife is pretty, pretty close. What's that? I think we're done. All right. That's good to know. Good. Well, here we are. It's the Christmas season. It's uh, kind of exciting. Lights, parties, that kind of a thing. We're coming into that season. And it's also busy, right? How many people are busy? Anybody else busy besides me? Yeah, there's a lot of people busy. So, um, but there's something that I felt like the Lord wanted to speak to us this morning. This is kind of just a setup for what the word of the Lord this morning. We were in worship this morning, and the Lord quickened something to me. It's kind of a prophetic word for this house, kind of a, a now word for this house. You know, one of the, one of the, um, the, the scriptures we quote quite a bit is a, is a scripture. It's, it's, we enter his gates with praise, and it was courts with thanksgiving. How many people have heard that scripture before? It's a good scripture. It's really good. It's based on the Old Testament because back in the day when they came to worship God, they came to the tabernacle, right? Or the, they came in the outer courts. They entered the gates with thanksgiving and in the courts with praise. There were levels of like encounter with God, I guess, if you could say, right? You come in the gate and then all of a sudden you come to one section and then you keep going further back. You keep going deeper and deeper and you have a, a deeper encounter with the Lord and his presence, Okay. I don't have time to go into all the, the labor and, you know, the whole nine. But, um, 
But one of the, one of the words that uh, composes the word gate is the word pearl. Anybody, anybody heard this before? The word gate actually means pearl. And it's interesting because um, there, a pearl is what? Pearl is something that is formed in pressure and in irritation. And it's something beautiful and amazing and precious that is, that is formed out of irritation and pressure. So you have a little grain of sand coming into an oyster, and it creates pressure, and then it creates this beautiful thing. And so there's this picture of like where our thanks, where our praise, where our actual uh, our opening our mouth, despite pressure, pain, issues, s- struggles in life, c- proclaiming the goodness of God, even when ne- we don't necessarily feel it. To open our mouth and actually proclaim, God, you're good. I, I, you know what? I, I can't sing of your faithfulness because of my circumstances, but I just know your character, and your character is that you're good. And I'm just going to speak your word and, pre- and release your word, and I'm just going to say, God, thank you. And there's something about a deeper level in the days ahead, in this season for us, in our worship, where when, when we can begin to not keep our mouths silent in those times of pressure and irritation, because we'll all have them, especially in the Christmas season. We got family. Sometimes you get along with family. Sometimes you don't. It's, you know, it's, it's touch and go. You're buying gifts. There's all kinds of parties. There's different things going on. And I believe in this season, not just in the Christmas season, but even in this season of our life at New Hope, that there, there's, a, there's a higher place where when we come into this place and we, we go in our private time and we worship the Lord, well, if we open our mouth and give Him thanks despite what we feel, despite how it goes on, despite how things are happening, that God is going to take us into a new level of an open heaven, a new level of an encounter with His presence and with His glory. Amen. So I just want to encourage us with that this morning because I, 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 really, I really believe that there's something about in the midst of pain and pressure and uh, you know, challenge, which we all face, that if we'll open our mouths and thank him just because he's good, just because yeah. he's worthy, just because he's faithful, even though we may not see it or feel it or encounter it, there's some kind of breakthrough that comes. I've had the most intense worship times where I've been through in the most painful piece, pieces of my life, and tears are streaming down your face, and you're like, Lord, this hurts like heck, but I know you're, I know you're faithful. I know you're yeah. good. I, I, I sing of your character as I see it, not as I feel it. Or not as I experience it in my real life. So that one was just something I was just to- toying over as we were kind of singing this morning. So just be aware of that today, even in your personal, private worship times. So, um, but this morning I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, a little bit about David. Um, we're going to reference one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's David and Goliath. Everybody has heard it before. Everybody's preached on it before. It's been kind of one of these things you probably are like, oh, okay, how he's going to teach about David and Goliath. All right. Hopefully it'll be something new for you. Hopefully it'll be something fresh in here for you that you could take away from today and that God will uh, kind of enlighten it for you. But let's just take a minute and we'll just pray real quick. Well, Jesus, we just... We bless you and we honor you. And we thank you, God, that uh, you're, the, you're the God who does new things, Lord. You're, you're God who does new things every day, every moment of every day, Lord. And we just, we just proclaim into the atmosphere today that, Lord, you're doing a new thing, Lord, in our lives. Lord, and we just ask right now that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see, to know. In Jesus' name, that we would be able to... I, we just prayed this morning, Lord, that you would just strip away, 
Lord, all facades and um, just unawareness, Lord, that we would be so aware of you, so aware of what you're saying, so aware of what you're doing, that we would be God-aware in every moment, Lord, in Jesus' name of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if, so if Tracy texts or something, just flag me down, all right? Um, so we're going to talk about David and Goliath. Now, some of you have heard it, some of you haven't, so let's just talk, let's just talk about it. David was um, the son of Jesse. We're just going to talk really quickly, give you some background of the scripture I'm going to go up to. Um, David um, was the son of Jesse, and at a certain point in his life, uh, it was, they say he's about 15 years old, different, different interpretations. When he's about 15 years old, a prophet comes to him and, and basically says, you're going to be king of Israel. He's 15 years old, he's a shepherd, he's the youngest of a whole bunch of boys, big, strong, strapping lads, right? And God chooses him, picks him out of a crowd and says, you're it, you're going to be the future king of Israel. Well, it didn't happen right then. And he went back to the fields and he was kind of doing his thing and you know, he's in the wilderness uh, guarding sheep. And, you know, uh, it's probably a very lonely place. He's probably, you know, I imagine he's probably got his harp out there. And he's just probably chilling. And, you know, there's wild animals. And who knows what else is going on out there, right? So he's all, all alone very much himself. And so what happens is, is there's the, the current king. His name is Saul. Some of you know this. There's a current king. His name is Saul. And actually... There's a scripture that says uh, an evil spirit from the Lord comes upon Saul and torments him, right? And I, I don't know what you want to do with that as far as theology-wise. The evil spirit from the Lord, okay, all right, Old Testament, right? Um, but, uh, here's, so, but needless to say, Saul is being tormented. And he calls, you know, is there anybody who can help me? And they hear about David, and he comes to David, and David can play the harp, can play the guitar probably electric, right, Spiro? The electric harp. He's just, yeah, wow! Um, <laughs> he's got to have a good amp and a good, you know, pedal board and, you know, the whole nine, but anyways. Um, so he, he could play the harp. And so David comes to the palace. David, uh, occasionally, the Bible says on and off, he starts coming back and forth between Saul and, and Saul's house and his own house. So he's tending dad's sheep, taking care of dad's house, and then occasionally Saul will come him, and he'll come play his electric harp, anyways, his harp, and the le evil spirit will leave Saul. So there's an anointing on this guy that when he comes and he plays, boom, the room clears, okay? So he's already a psalmist and a worshiper in his heart, okay? So fast forward, there's one day, in case, uh, just kind of, getting up to the story here. There's one day, now the Israelites have these people who they're constantly fighting with called the Philistines, right? And there's a battle, and there's, they're fighting each other, and all of a sudden they come to this one place where on one hill is the Israelites, on the other hill is the Philistines, and then there's a valley in between them, and this big dude comes out, and his name is Goliath. He's big. The Bible says you know, roughly he's, they think he's probably nine and a half, maybe ten feet. Big dude. He's, his, his chain mail suit that he wears is 150 pounds. Some of you don't even weigh 150 pounds. And he, that's how big his chain mail. He's got a, a spear that's like, the head of the spear is like 15, 15 pounds, I think is what it, what it looked at. 
But anyways, he's a big dude, and he comes out every day, and this is kind of how they did it back in the day. He, he's a big dude, and he comes, out into the, he comes out into the middle of the thing in between the two uh, armies, and he says, hey, I'm gonna, if, if somebody come out and fight me, if I kill him, uh, we'll get, we'll, we'll, you guys will be our servants. If uh, you kill me, then guys, you, I will be your servants. Obviously, the Israelites don't really like that proposition because he is huge. And, you know, one of, the, one of the scriptures actually says that Saul is one of the biggest guys in the land. And Saul, the king, is actually very, very frail and very small. Or, or, he's, or no, he's not small. He's very afraid, I should say. And it's, it's a very interesting scripture because there's something that happens there when he comes out. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So here we have... This situation where there is a, a, an armies, two armies coming at each other. The champion of one army is trying to take on the champion of another. And the champion of the one army, who's the Israelites, the good guys, um, they don't want to fight this guy. And so they're sitting there for 40 days. They sit there, and the guy comes out morning and evening and taunts them, and nobody faces up to the challenge. So we're talking like almost a month and a half. These guys are in a valley waiting for to have somebody you know challenge them it's a big deal so they're sitting there like shaking in their boots so you know obviously jesse who is david's dad now just to give you a little background david has a bunch of older brothers he's the youngest his three oldest brothers are fighting in this battle okay so what, what you have is you have a situation where david who is you know a little kid who's actually he's about 17 years old they, people say 17, between 17 and 20 they're estimating his age at during this time period. So he's a young, young guy. And his older brothers are at this war and his dad says, hey, David, take some cheese, take some flour, take some grain, um, you know, take it to your brothers and see how it's going with them. So David goes and then David goes out there just as, just as Goliath, the big dude, is coming out and he's saying, Look, you guys are punks. Come and fight me. I'll mop the floor with you. You know, obviously I'm paraphrasing. But he's basically saying that. He's taunting, and who's your God? Who is this guy? And David sees this, and then he sees what happens is, is the, the Israelites actually run. And he's like, what? What is going on? And he's actually talking to the guys, okay, about what's happening. And that's where we come up to where the scripture I want to talk about this morning. The little bit of the scripture. It's... Uh, it's, it's uh, um, I'm trying to remember what verse it is, but it's uh, 1 Samuel 17, if you want to try and find it. Um, I don't have it marked, I apologize. Um, 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. And quite honestly, if you haven't read it before, or if it's you know, not something that's, uh, read it. It's a really cool story, and you can learn a lot. Just little nuances of what, what happens and, and that kind of thing. You can really learn a lot from the life of David. So, so there's a, and I'm reading from the New King James Version because um, I like it for the, what I'm going to talk about. And, the, and, the, and it says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. So David's talking to the men, and his oldest brother, Eliab, hears him talking to the other men. Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down here to see the battle. So, let's be honest. He's a 17-year-old boy. He probably wants to see some, you know, action. Come on. I want to see some action. 
By the way, I, I, I want like Ridley Scott to make a version of, uh, of, yeah. uh, of David and Goliath, you know, like the gladiator. It's such a, such a guy movie. But anyways, <laughs> like, Ugh. anyways, um, I know your pride and your insolence of your heart. You've come down here to see the battle. So, you know, David's out delivering, David's delivering food, but, you know, David probably wants to see some action, right? And, um, and, and, and David said to him, he said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones. So basically, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around. But what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Was David's, was David's cry. So his brother is, is basically kind of, you know, you're arrogant. Who's tending the sheep? You're not doing your job. You just want to see some blood and guts. Come on, what, what? And David's like, wait, wait. I'm asking questions. Isn't, isn't there a reason? Isn't there a reason I should be asking questions? Isn't there a reason I should be concerned here? And so that's where we're going to go. And we're going to talk a little bit about is there not a cause this morning? Um, there are causes that uh, God's heart are crying out from God's heart for us to, to intervene that require invention, intervention. Invention and intervention, actually. But there, there are causes uh, all over that need, that need an answer, that need a solution. And we are to be that solution. And I, I find, and again, that, that might sound we're, it might sound like you know, touchy feely and you know, tree hugger and you know that kind of thing. But we are the solution. You realize Jesus is in you. Jesus is in us. The Godhead lives in us. His very own resurrected Spirit abides in us. So, so we. We have in us everything we need. I love the scripture. And again, if I, I'm going to kind of mess with our heads a little bit on some stuff this morning. So all emails can go to um, ralphvanauken at yahoo.com if I, if I mess with your theology a little this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I forgot where I was going now. <laughs> Got it with the whole joke. Yeah, I, I love the scripture that says, um, thank you, by the way. I love the scripture that says, you know, I, I must decrease and he must increase. It's a really good scripture, but if you read it in context, the context is, is that it's John the Baptist saying this about his, 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 his making room for Jesus' ministry. And it's actually a physical, physical, like I have to st- step back so that the Savior can come in. And it, you know, we use it a lot of times as a good humble prayer. Lord, I just want, I just want you to, I just want you to come in, and I want you to make me lo- make less of me, more of you. And you know what? God, He can translate. He knows your heart, so He knows. Lord, I just want to be more humble. That's 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 what's at the heart. But it's technically not a legal or prayer. It's technically on our behalf, because if if we if Him in us does not increase, then there will be no answer to some of the ills in society. I'm not saying that God can't sovereignly move. I'm just saying that he co-labors with us. He joins with us. He requires our active participation in his call and in his plan. 
And so for us, to, for us to legally say, you know, I've got a decrease. Actually, no, you've, you've got to rise and shine for your light has come. We have to. We have to arise and shine because the glory of the Lord has revealed it. And we're, we're supposed to be bringing his light into the dark places. Think about people like Martin Luther. Martin Luther fought for a cause and he created the Protestant Reformation. Because he saw something, he saw the selling of indulgences, amongst other things, in the Catholic Church, and he said, you know, that ain't right. Is there not a cause? That's just not right. That's not what my Bible says. How can we sit here and let this happen? Because it, and so he came up with 95 theses and nailed it on the door. And of course, you know, he paid a price. He paid a price. But he also started one of the greatest reformations that the world has ever known. Think about William Wilberforce. The man who basically, you know, who basically spoke vehemently about, you know, getting rid of slavery in England. I mean, he, he, he saw the cause. He saw a cause that was on God's heart, that was burning on God's heart. He didn't let it die. He didn't let it go off into the silence. And he fought for it. Now, he, 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 he didn't see, actually... The, you know, the, the, um, because he died before actually slavery could be taken away in England. But there's, 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 there's that heart of like, I'm not going to go into the, into, the, into the sunset quietly because there's something burning on God's heart for me to accomplish. Amen. There's something here for me to go for. There's something for me, me here to, to, to chase after. The problem is, the question I have is why don't we see the causes? Because sometimes there are causes all over right now. There are causes all over the place that we can sign on to and that we're gifted for and that we're blessed in and that we have the particular... And the problem is, I think we... Some of it, we're going to talk about some of the problems, but some of the problem is that we kind of get misdirected into different areas and we don't, we don't focus on what the real cause that God has us assigned to. So one of the reasons is because fear immobilizes us. We might see a cause, and we might be afraid. One of the, in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So they hear Goliath say these words, and they're dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, I did a little study on what dismayed and greatly afraid is. Um, dismayed is... Uh, I don't even know, H-A-T-A-T. I don't speak Hebrew, sorry. <laughs> it's discouraged, shattered, terrified, and alarmed. So, obviously, afraid. They're really afraid, right? And then you have Yere, which is Y-A-R-E, and that's afraid, fear, revere, terrify. That, act, that word is actually used in two different contexts. One is about the fear of the Lord. One is about absolute, abject terror, Okay? Um, obviously, we're not talking about the fear of the Lord here. We're talking about a fear, the fear of a man. So, and it, it also has something to do, it's an emotional and intellectual anticipation or, of harm or that sense of dread. So it's like this guy speaks a word, and they're already down here. Oh, we're going to get our butts kicked. We're already going to get mopped, the floor mopped with us. And what ended up happening because they had, they had gone from here, and their perception of this situation is, this guy's huge, he's going to kill us, now we're afraid, now we can't do anything. It immobilized them. Right. 
They sat there for 40 days, almost a month and a half, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say, not knowing what was going to happen, and they did nothing because, because they were afraid. They were scared. And because they had already seen, in their mind, they had already seen the end, and it was going to end horribly. And that's where their perception was wrong, because it actually ended up good, didn't it? That's why sometimes we just, we just can't believe that. And uh, the other part of that word is mo- mode. It's very exceeding. So these guys are very, like, they're very dreadful. They, they sense it down the road. So, so again, fear kind of gets in our way sometimes. We're afraid to pursue, not knowing what's happening for some reasons. And this is not an exhaustive list. Um, but the other thing is we're, sometimes we wait for things to be just right. You, you ever think about that before? Like, we're, like we see the cause and there's, there's something that's burning on God's heart for us to push after. But it's like, it's like what ends up happening is we're waiting for stuff to be just right. Either, you know, like I'm just waiting for my life to kind of, my character to kind of be just, you know, dead on so that I can pursue that. Or I'm waiting for my finances to get into line and, you know. Or we're putting conditions on the pursuit of a cause. Or we're waiting for, you know, Pastor Ralph has to recognize me in this certain light. Or blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, there are things all over the place uh, that, that, that we kind of conditions. They're outside things that we, you know, uh, things outside of us that we use as excuses sometimes to not pursue the call of God on our lives. Or not to pursue the cause that he's put right in front of us. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite messages is a message by a guy named Banning Liebscher from Jesus Culture. He, he preached on a message one time about Nehemiah and how the instruction to Nehemiah was to take the, the wall, the, the, wall um, the, 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 the wall around the city had been absolutely destroyed. And the instruction was, go out in front of your house and build the wall in front of you. And he preached this whole message about how God has trusted us, something with us, in the front yard. And if we'll just build the wall in front of us, we'll, we'll see a breakthrough like we've never seen before. And, you know, and I, that, that really has an impact for my life. Because for those of you who don't know, I just transitioned jobs. Um, but for the past four and a half years, I've been working with juvenile delinquents. Um, I worked for, the state of, worked for the state of New York with juvenile delinquents. And I, um, they are... Um, so what would happen is juvenile delinquents would get placed and incarcerated um, at one of our locked facilities, and then I would work with them after they got released to make sure that they were positive and doing what they were supposed to do in the community, right? And it's funny, for the past four and a half years, you look at your life and you start to realize, wow, you know, this is what happened. But this is kind of like my story with this. It's like you sit there and, you know, obviously I work for one of the biggest bureaucracies in the world. <laughs> And if you've seen the news, you know how bad Albany can be and how bad, you know, things can, things can go and how the infighting and the corruption and, you know, the whole nine, right? And you, you, I start to realize that all of a sudden I, I'm blaming them for something I have control over. And you sit there for four years and you say, well, the state does this, the state does that, and I use that as an excuse not to make an impact on where God has put me. And it happened over the summer where the Lord just, I was at a training, and a guy said, the guy who was doing the training said a couple things that just dropped right into my spirit. He's, he said one thing that I'm, I, I'll probably use on everybody here, but, but he said one thing that was like, well, I can't, I, you, you can't, I can't do that. What can I do? Right. 
Because, again, I can't change policy. I'm not that high. I'm not, I can't change the laws. I can't change this. But what can I do? And the truth of the matter is, is that I have interactions and relationships with people in my office, with people... With, people, with the youth I work with. I can't pray with kids, but I can encourage them. I can prophesy over them, not use churchy Christian words. I can do all these things. I have all of this at my disposal to change the atmosphere. And this is my cause. Amen. And I said to myself, I am a juvenile justice reformer. That's, that's what I am. Now I've jumped ship now. Now I'm a, now I'm a, now I'm a correctional reformer. So, <laughs> but... Um, but, I, but that's, that's the mentality that we really have to get, is that, you know, we talk about all the things we can't do, but what can we do? And what can we say? What, what power do we have? And you have the power of your relationships. You have the power of your prayer. You know, again, at the end of the day, you know, I, I walk in now, and I find myself, and maybe you're like this too, but I find myself in this place where if I see... You know, somebody's talking to me about their bum shoulder. I, I, I used to be able to just kind of like, you know, push it off. Oh, that's so sad. You know, you empathize, right? You got to empathize. You got to sympathize. Oh, that's so sad. I know, that's tough. It must be hard on your family. But you know, the one thing about Jesus that I absolutely love is that his ways, he is a God of love. But what good is a God, <laughs> I might mess with you here. What good is a God of love who doesn't have power to help you? Because he can love you and pat you on the back at the end of the day, and he can show you how much he cares for you, but he can't help you in your situation. That's not the God I serve. The God I serve has power to pull us out of the place we were at, that he has power and love. And, and again, it's, it's one of those things where we're called to use power in love, in the context of love. And so it's kind of like, okay, now I hear he's got a bum shoulder, and I'm like, okay, I can do something about that. I might not have raised the dead or seen tons of healings, but I can at least do something about that. I can pray about that. I can lay hands on them. I could, I, could be, I could take a risk with someone, and it is a big risk, and I could say, look, I might sound kind of weird. And this, that's how I always soften the blow. I soften the blow. You know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those religious nuts. I love Jesus, you know, whatever. I, you know, but I believe God like, wants to hear your shoulder. Can I just pray for you? Do you mind if I put my hand on you? And you're amazed at the God, that God wants to move like that. Amen. He wants to move in your coworkers and the people you have control over. So I, but I find that we just, we just major on the things we can't control, the things that are outside us. And we're waiting for all those things to come into line before we can step out and we can move out and we can answer the cause that's burning on God's heart. So, got that? All right, good. So there's also kind of like a misunderstanding. I'm moving on to the next one. It's kind of a misunderstanding of our role sometimes, and this is where we get a little theological. Um, <clears throat> just a question nobody has to answer. Is God in control? Don't, don't, don't answer that. It's a trick question. I, I can tell I'm messing with people already. <laughs> Ralph Van Auken at yahoo.com. <laughs> I... I, I would say a better word, my wife and I were talking about this last night because I knew it would kind of be a little bit controversial, um, but a better word would be God is in charge. He's sovereign, but he doesn't control me. He doesn't micromanage me. He doesn't take the little pieces of my life and he doesn't force me to love him. What, what kind of love would that be if he forced me to love him? So I, sometimes I find like, 
we, we use that phrase or this misunderstanding of our role as like, oh, well, God is in control. And we use that as almost an excuse to not act, to not step out, to not, to not take the cause that's burning on God's heart and that's burning on our heart and, and, and run with it and pursue it. Oh, God's in control. God understands that God understands that the human trafficking will, will last on itself. God understands that single parents and single, single mothers will, will hand, and he does. But the problem is, is that he's chosen to work through us. He's, he's limited himself so that he can work through us. And if we don't answer the cause or the call, you know, the cause, the call, whatever. I like call, call is like this big, you know, I have a call to the, you know, whatever. This is a cause. I'm talking specific here. Cause for you might be, you want to, like, somebody like Steve or something, you're, you're in business, you, you, you want to help a company become solvent and work and, you know, entrepreneurship or whatever, whatever the case might be. It might be working in human trafficking or working with, um, you know, uh, Xerox to kind of help them. Uh, it might be working in a city school district to help bring Jesus into the city school district. But there's so many different causes out there. Um, that we can, we can put our, you know, I'm looking at Liza. Liza works in the Penfield High School. That's a cause. There are so many kids at, at Penfield High School that need an encounter with Jesus. Um, so anyways, but back to the misunderstanding of our rule. Let me just read from Genesis 1 here. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living thing that moves on the earth. So that's the mandate right from the go. Is he's called us to, to rule over, to subdue, to, 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 to bring his rule and his reign here on the earth. We're his ambassadors. So when we say things, when we misunderstand that somehow, oh, God's going to take care of that, I think that's a false understanding. There are things, you know what? I, you know, not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. Right. And there are those moments where it is by his spirit, where you, you've done everything you can do, and it's only him who can intervene. And there are tons of those moments in life, and we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit about those moments. But I think sometimes we rely on this whole thing of like, you know, well, God's got it in hand. Well, yeah, but you're the answer that he's put in that situation. Right. We, we are the answer. Preaching to myself, too. Another thing that kind of keeps us from answering or pursuing the cause is like this sense of powerlessness um, and helplessness. If you've had an experience before where you've prayed for someone or, you know, you've done this or that, and it doesn't work, if that happens enough, it can create this sense of, like, I'm powerless, and it feels like I can create this situation where I, I, I can't do anything about that. And then that's, that's when we learn helplessness. It's called learned helplessness. Some of you may have heard of the concept before. But it is, it's kind of one of these things where your experience actually teaches you that, you're not gonna. You're not gonna be victorious. And that's not what my Bible says. I'm sorry. Bible says that He will always lead me in triumph. Well, he uses everything, everything in my life for good because for me because I'm called according to His purpose. These are these are these are our understandings of who God is, and so we have to break out of this 
helplessness, powerlessness. You're powerful. We are powerful. Not because we're anything special, but because the King of Kings lives inside of us and we carry his power where we go. And we're just learning right now how to exercise his power. That's why sometimes we don't see the the healings or the things that we want to see. It's because we're learning how to use this intense power that dwells inside of us. So, anyways. But over time, and feeling powerless and helpless actually desensitizes us and makes us unaware. So if you get this continuous situation where, you know, I pray and it doesn't work, or I pray and it doesn't work, and then you start to almost ignore the causes. And it's like... Like you walk around like I was doing, and, and you, know, you see somebody who's got a, I use a shoulder problem, you see somebody who's got a shoulder problem, and they're like, uh, and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, that's so sad, I know. It's like you don't actually hear the cry that says, that isn't right. right. You shouldn't be 52 years old and have cancer. Right. That's just not right. You think God gives somebody cancer at 52 years old? I don't think so. Maybe, maybe that's where our theology needs to change. Like, I, I, God doesn't give people cancer. Like, I just, I don't understand all the time why there is cancer or why a 52-year-old might have cancer or something like that. But it doesn't mean that God gave it to him. It doesn't mean that God put that on him. In fact, it means the opposite, that God wants to deliver him from it. He wants to deliver him from the darkness and the domain of darkness. So anyways, and so... What happens is we create all this, and then we, we kind of insulate ourselves from the need. It's like because we're just kind of like, well, that's a, that's a nice cause. Okay, all right, I'm so sad. Yeah, it really is sad that there's so many poor people in Rochester. It really is so sad that there's, there's so many people on welfare and there's no economic development. You know, whatever. Name the cause. But we create this distance between us and the cause. And really, again, like I've said, we, we, we're meant to be the answer to the cause. So... Yeah. I believe really this morning um, that God just really wants to kind of resensitize our hearts to kind of what's burning on his heart. And my, my, my sincere prayer is that today, that all of us together, that the veneer would just be kind of rubbed off, yeah. that we would, no longer, we would no longer see the world as a bunch of just circumstantial things that come together, but that we would see the causes that are out there for us and that we, would, that we would be the ones who would pursue the cause and see it. Because, again, David did it. Is there not a cause? And then he killed Goliath in case anybody didn't notice, didn't, didn't hear the rest of the story. But at the end of the story, what happens is he starts talking and then Saul basically says, dude, you can't fight this guy. He's like, look, Saul, and his history and his time with God in the wilderness created this situation where where he, was, he had killed a bear. The Bible says that he killed a bear and a lion. He actually went after a bear and a lion and killed him. And I'm like, okay, first of all, bear and a lion come to me and my sheep. I'm not even going to fight him off. I'm going to run. I'm going to probably feed him a couple sheep so he's not hungry when he gets to me. He'd be like, this guy, he's a warrior, right? I would be like, here, quick. Be like, go! But, I'm going to feed him a couple of sheep and I'm going to let him go. This guy chased him down because of his confidence in who he was and that was built in the secret place in his history with God in the wilderness, worshiping, crying out to the Lord. Those were the things that he relied on when the bear and the lion came and he knew, I am going to whoop this bear's butt. 
you know, I am going to take this lion out, and I'm going to chase him down. Now, Ralph Delaraca would probably chase, chase down the bear and kill it, but not me. But, but I, I just, you know, this guy's a warrior. So he comes back to Saul, and he says, Saul, look, you don't understand. I went after a bear, and I went after a lion and killed him. This guy's going to be light work. You know, he doesn't have big jaws, and, you know, he doesn't eat sheep. And, so, well, maybe he does, but he cooks them first. Um, but the simple fact is, is that impressed Saul in that moment. Saul saw it and was like, oh my gosh, okay, this guy really, he really has some confidence. All right, all right, here you go. And then what happens? Saul tries to give him his armor. And it's like, you know, don't try and take somebody else's gift and their anointing and their, don't try and pursue somebody else's cause because it ain't going to fit you. You know what I mean? Because it ain't going to happen. So pursue the cause that God has burned on your heart. And he goes out and what does he do? He takes the five smooth stones Chucks one at Goliath's head. Goliath goes, boosh. So a little 17-year-old boy kills a warrior who's nine and a half feet tall. He takes his own sword. This is why I want Ridley Scott to make the movie. He takes his own sword and cuts his head off. And all the guys go, yeah. Cuts his head off, and he takes his head back to Saul and says, hey, here's the head. And actually, Goliath's sword actually becomes, down the road, David's actually own sword that he took up and he used in all these battles. So the very, the very, the very testing and the very victory became a victory more and more and more and more down the road. The simple fact is, is that's who we are. We're, we're, we're meant to be that kind of a warrior, that kind of a, a, somebody who looks at the cause, somebody who's not fooled by the fear or fooled by the external things, somebody who notices the cause and somebody who answers it and somebody who goes for it and somebody who cuts off the giant's head. So I just believe, just everybody can kind of stand. Just uh, do me a favor and just put your hand over your eyes. Because really, it's about, it's about revelation. Yeah. It's about our eyes. It's about our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart. You, so, Lord. Father, we just pray right now, we yeah. ask you in the name of Jesus, that you would awaken us yeah. to the causes that burn on your yeah. heart. The things we've let pass, that we would not let them pass anymore, Lord, in Jesus' name. That a holy boldness and a holy anger yeah. would come up in us and we would see injustice and we would do a death blow yeah. to injustice in this world, Lord, in Jesus' name. I am looking in this room and, I, Father, yeah. I, see, I see giant killers in, yeah. every, in every area of the seven mountains, right. Father. And I ask right now that, Lord, yeah. we would stop looking to the right or to the left or looking to somewhere else to be fulfilled or looking for someone else for identity or whatever. But, Lord, I ask right now that you would strip away all the veneer, that we would begin to see clearly your cause, that we would never be the same from today, that you teach us how to wield your power, Lord, in Jesus' name, in love and with good character, Father. We ask those things in the name of Jesus, and we speak it right now in the name of Jesus. We release you. We release you now to minister to people and to people's hearts, Lord, that people would feel strong, that they would know that they're strong, not because of anything they've done, but because Jesus, he lives inside of us. And Father, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would, you would give them an encounter with you for the very first time today, Lord, in Jesus' name. I just want to say, if anybody's here and you don't know Jesus, God wants to empower you 
And he wants to fill you with his spirit. He wants to fill you with the he wants you he wants you to invite his son in and just come and take over and just Hallelujah. all you got to do all you got to do is say Jesus come and take over my life. You're Lord of my life. I invite you in. You are God, you are king, you are Lord over all and I invite you into my life. And if if you do that today, You'll know the greatest joy and the greatest peace and the greatest yeah. power of yeah. your of your life. So, amen. I felt like we should just kind of sing for a second. So let's just sing. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my.